Hello, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of Techspansive. I am Sean Dubervac from Avrio Institute. And I'm Ross Rubin at Reticle Research. This week, we're going to dive into the announcements we saw this week in New York from, uh, from Microsoft at their big event. And we'll kick things off with a discussion of the Surface Pro X. Yeah, so uh, I, I was at the event, um, which was held uh, in downtown Manhattan, uh, which started late because it uh, encountered a little bit of, of traffic um, issue in, in Midtown. Who, who would have thought that? But, uh, but we finally got there, and um, you know they're they're going through the Surface laptop, some nice updates there, and they said almost nothing about the Surface Pro, uh, just that it was a new generation. And then it became clear why that was the case because they were waiting, you know, holding their their thunder uh, for the Surface Pro X. And essentially, what this thing is, it is a thinner version uh, with built-in uh, LTE, and it's based on the Snapdragon uh, architecture. Uh, so it is what might be called an always connected PC, uh, um, but it. It, uh, it, 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 it's not branded a Snapdragon processor. Uh, so Microsoft is branding uh, this, this processor under its own brand. Uh, I think they're calling it the SL1. And they're crediting Qualcomm. They're saying it uses Snapdragon technology. But part of what they've done, and, and they say they developed it in conjunction with Qualcomm, uh, but part of what they've done is they really ramped up the energy usage on this thing. So normally a Snapdragon runs at about two watts, and I think they crank this thing up to about seven watts uh, to get much better performance. And uh, it should perform pretty well because the current generation Snapdragon PCs are okay. You know, I would say they, they perform at about the level of a mid-range Intel PC these days, you know, perfectly adequate for most things. Uh, but this thing uh, should be more competitive with a higher performance PC would be my my guess. And, and Microsoft says that uh, it um, uh, the, the battery life is still very good. So uh, obviously there's some compromise involved there, but uh, but that's part of the part part of the um, uh, the promise of, of a Qualc you know Snapdragon based PC is the long battery life. And uh, they they say they've um, they've gotten that. So this thing is uh, like a Surface Pro. It's a, a 12.3 inch display, I believe. Uh, and uh, you know, it's just it's thinner, it's lighter, it has longer battery life, it has a removable hard drive. They also did this neat thing where they created a little dock in the keyboard cover for a, a new version of the pen. So that's always with you. And uh, that's Surface Pro X. I, I don't recall what pricing is, but uh, I'm guessing it's going to be a premium over the existing Surface Pros, which are in the mid $700, not including the, the keyboard. So it, a lot of people were waiting for Microsoft to jump in and eat its own dog food uh, in terms of uh, this Qualcomm architecture, this ARM architecture. And now they have finally jumped in. Uh, with a thinner, lighter version of the the Surface Pro, and and that that sort of makes sense. I mean, that's in line with what other companies have done uh, with this architecture, uh, and they're just trying to 
uh, squeeze more performance out of it. So um, I would I would call it uh, an evolutionary jump, but but uh, pretty you know a, f- a fairly big one considering how little they have changed in the main Surface Pro line uh, over the past few generations, particularly this one. So it, it expands the the product line out. And Ross, what's your sense for the market for this? Who's who's buying these? How are we using them? What how are we differentiating them? Yeah. I think in general the market for these Qualcomm based PCs is uh mobile mobile professionals, uh people who particularly want that cellular connectivity everywhere they go. So people who may be doing a fair amount of work in, in cars or uh, other places where there may not be Wi-Fi. Uh, there's also a security argument that if you're on an LTE network that you're not uh, subject to some of the hackers that may be hanging around on a Wi-Fi network trying to uh, steal data. Uh, but in general, uh, they are, you know, it's the classic mobile road warrior profile, uh, very thin, very light, and very long battery life and, and the connectivity. So if you were considering a Surface Pro uh, and you said, I'm just looking for maybe something a, a, a little bit lighter, you know, maybe I'm considering a, an iPad instead, uh, maybe maybe this tips the scales for you towards Surface. Do you think we start to see a lot more stylus use? I mean, that was one of the, the themes that I saw come out in the Microsoft announcement was you, you see it here with the Surface Pro X where you've got a dedicated place to keep the stylus. You saw, obviously, other devices using stylus. I feel like I'm seeing them used more heavily in the wild than I have in the past. And they certainly continue to do more with the stylus. Uh, so they, one of the things they showed off is how they're building more support for integration into Office, which is a, a big part of the Surface value prop now, uh, according to Microsoft, the, uh, the ties that they can make into Office. So, for example, you can uh, write information into an Excel cell, and then if you want to delete it, just you know, uh, scribble it out. It's uh, it's amazing. It's it's like going back to uh, you know the the 1970s in terms of how people did uh, uh, you know track records in, mm-hmm. in some ways. But but of course it's all digital and it converts it instantly into uh, typed numbers. So uh, and they also showed off a uh, a new app coming from Adobe called, I think, Adobe Fresco, and they had an art student come in and, you know, create something beautiful uh, in the space of about, you know, 40 seconds that uh, certainly to my uh, complete lack of artistic talent was uh, something something miraculous. Uh, but, um, but still, I, I would say, uh, and, and when, you know, they're actually doing stuff in PowerPoint now, this is kind of interesting, where you can sketch uh, little diagrams and things, and it preserves the hand-drawn nature or flavor of, uh, of those, uh, those diagrams. So not everything is cut and dried uh, and, and square and perfect, uh, so that it provides more of a human-like uh, context or, or flavor to the diagram. I, I think that's pretty interesting. The idea that you want to present something as informal and more brainstormed and, and less um, 
less traditionally PowerPoint. So, yeah. It, when yeah. you think about the 1980s Microsoft and the 1990s Microsoft, it was all about hard lines and and precision, right? And very office centric perspective. I mean, you even saw it in the name, right? It was Microsoft Office. It was all about being professional, and now it's all about being unique and being a storyteller and being differentiated. And and so you see that starting to come out in how we think about design for office products and productivity. I think some of that is them. I think some of that is responding to Apple. And I think some of that is just what's happened to the PC industry as phones have become far more capable and omnipresent consumption devices. So, you know, the question is, what is the role of the PC? And Panos Panay, who leads the Surface business at uh, uh, Microsoft, uh, you know, probably one of the more captivating speakers uh, we still have giving a lot of these presentations, uh, is that, uh, you know, it's all about flow. It's all about keeping you creative. It's all about using the PC as an instrument. You know, he makes a comparison to his daughter's piano on, on which she has, uh, you know, taken taken lessons and can create. And uh, it made me uh, thankful that I didn't have to pay for six years of surface lessons from my kid. But uh, it, uh, you know, non nonetheless, I, it, it was a good segue into talking about some of the stuff that they have uh, in, in the queue for next year. So one of the other announcements we saw come out this week was Surface Earbuds. And uh, we've seen earbuds come out from Amazon and Microsoft, really trying to go head to head with Apple AirPods. Uh, we've seen those announcements in the last two weeks, of course, Amazon uh, last week and then Surface this week. It's interesting to see how this market, I think, will will continue to develop. The price to me is high at $250. Yep. It feels... Yeah, well, the price on the Surface headphones, uh, the, you know, the, the ones that they introduced last year was, was in the higher end Yeah, as well, and those don't so. feel like they necessarily resonated far outside of what I would call that that Microsoft and environment or, or ecosystem where people are very dedicated to that. Um, it, what, one of the interesting features I saw was that the, it, you can speak into the headphones while you're presenting a PowerPoint presentation and it will offer live transcription for whatever you're saying right onto the screen. So there is some really interesting things that are starting to, um, to pull, pull together. To your point, you're seeing them try to leverage their en entire ecosystem and and figure out how to have interplay there that that is meaningful and that's one thing that i think apple has always done a, a pretty good job at is having seamlessness across their portfolio of of offerings microsoft has struggled with that given the legacy of we're going to build a a common os that runs across diverse hardware brought out by our channel partners and I think it's still going to be something of a channel of uh, something, sorry, something of a challenge for them because unlike Apple and unlike Amazon, where the buds, uh, earbuds are tied to a specific agent, uh, Microsoft is kind of out of the mainstream agent game with Cortana. You know, we'll have to see where that goes, but it's clear that they're 
not trying to compete head to head uh, or that they haven't been able to compete head to head. So uh, the Microsoft earbuds, which are these kind of <laughs> large disc-like things that uh, kind of look like plugs uh, for people who kind of stretch their yeah. earlobes, um, they're, they're big, um, but they don't have the tail uh, that, that the AirPods have. Um, you know, you can actually, they're big enough that you can do different kinds of swipe gestures on them. Um, so they're like tiny little round trackpads in your, in your head. Um, uh, but, uh, but, you know, they're, we'll see what the audio quality is like, but I, I tend to agree. I, I think it's, uh, it's more of an accessory sale at this point. I don't really see it as a street, as strategic a product for them. Uh, but, um, you know, they, they want to have their own alternative. They have a, a channel. So why not, really? You know, every everyone else has ear, true wireless earbuds at this point. They're they're pretty late. To and the it game. will be interesting to see what how, how that develops. I mean, you noted that they've got Cortana, and I would argue that they're actually changing the role of Cortana. Amazon last week introduced their voice interoperability initiative, which was designed to pull together companies that have voice agents and get them to to work together actually have multiple hmm. voice agents running uh, on the same platform and then you can whatever wake word you provide you can give them that uh that call or you can um you know have that voice agent start to do things for you cortana signed on siri from apple did not sign on Google Assistant did not Shocker. sign on, but you had a, a wide swath of others who did sign on, Salesforce, and, and of course, I guess, noted Cortana. Well, I, you know, regardless of whose API is chosen, you're, you're going to see companies that make audio equipment um, adopt this, just like Sonos did, because y you have to. I mean, it's crazy to tie a product to one of these uh, agents and limit your market unless you happen to be the company that, that makes that agent. I think that's exactly right. If you're a general purpose hardware manufacturer, I think where it might not make sense is if you're making hardware that's specific to a digital agent. So it would seem reasonable mm -hmm. that Google will, will, because they have dedicated hardware for this space, maybe they only want their agent working on that. And this, the same will clearly be true, I think, for Apple, where they want Siri just operating in their environment, unless it becomes evident that everybody is gravitating. And when I say everyone, users are gravitating towards things like Alexa, then uh, you, would, you could potentially imagine a day when Apple would need to bring that digital agent onto its, its device. But I think that would be a very hard conversation within Apple. <laughs> Indeed. Uh, and so we'll see how that develops. I think the price point is an inhibitor, especially given where Apple AirPods are and where uh, you can get the, the Amazon uh, earbuds as well. So I think the, the price point is, is hard. And I think it, there is some design elements that will take some getting used to. As you noted, they are rather large and, and they do put touch pads right in your ear. Um, we'll, we'll see how that resonates with users. The other big announcements coming from the event, Surface Neo, which is a dual nine-inch display, has a flip-up keyboard, and uh, what looks like essentially Microsoft's version of Apple's touch bar at the top. Um, the, 
positioning really is that second screen makes you more productive, allows for multitasking. It expands into essentially a 13.1 inch screen. They're doing a lot of work around scaling the whatever's on the screen so that you can move between the, the first and second screens. From my standpoint, it really feels like they're taking dual screens that we now have common in a desktop environment, especially in the workplace, and trying to drive that to a, a mobile environment. And I saw that both with the Surface Neo as well as the Surface Duo, which, which we can talk about. Both are slated for holiday 2020. So they're announcing them a year in advance, probably to help drive developers to develop so that when they do come to market, they're ready to be used right out of the box. Yeah, and um, the Neo uh, is in some ways a update of a concept that was floated around a few years ago called Courier, uh, which had this notebook-like interface, and it was very geared toward creative projects and um, you know cr saving things off the web and in documents and these little collections that you could uh, manage and. Uh, it reminds me on a much smaller scale of the Apple Knowledge Navigator video from uh, whenever it was, the 80s, where they showed off all these advanced concepts, uh, many of which we use today. Um, uh, you know, we have agents, we have voice recognition, uh, we have the web, you know, that didn't really exist when they made the video. And, and similarly, I think this uh, encapsulates a lot of what was shown in that video uh functionally although not quite in the same way um so for neo it's um uh one difference i i think is that it is going to be based on this new version of windows called windows pro windows 10x 10x so you've got both the arabic and roman <laughs> uh uh tens there so is, is you know is really windows 100 or windows 20 i don't know uh but uh, but this is going to be a new version of windows optimized for dual screen devices uh it's not super clear how the interface adapts to it at this point but that's okay and they do see this as a new category so the real competition, I would say, are devices that use folding screens. Uh, we haven't really seen a lot of those in the PC or tablet space yet. Uh, Lenovo has shown off something, but, but it's very early. Uh, and the, the big shocker is that the, uh, the Duo, which is kind of the phone version of this thing, is based on Android. Um, so that would have uh, been unthinkable a few years ago. But um, this is Microsoft dealing with the reality that there just seems to be no appetite for Windows on a mobile device and that there are a number of services and apps that are considered critical in that environment that uh, are going to be tough to uh, court from from iOS and Android. So this is something that Microsoft and Google are apparently working on together. I can't believe those words just came out of my mouth. Uh, and uh, it, it runs Android, but it has uh, a lot of Microsoft apps on it, uh, but it does have the, the Google Play Store. And, and, you know, we did hear Google last year at the uh, when Samsung first introduced the Fold, its, its phone with a folding screen, talking about how they were going to support 
multiple screens and folding screens uh, with Android and do a better job of that. So this was probably work on some level that they were going to do anyway. Um, and uh, Microsoft says it's going to work to try to make the gestures as consistent as possible uh, across the Windows-based Surface Neo and the Android-based Surface uh, Duo. There, there are a couple of things I like about the Duo, um, just from what I've seen. Uh, I do like that you can, so both devices rotate 360 degrees. Uh, and I do like how you can um, just close the, um, close the duo, you know, like an old school flip phone, and you don't have to worry about notifications and it protects the screen. Uh, it's, it's a little bit more privacy, um, I would say. Um, but, but I think also here, the, the challenge for it is that Microsoft knows that it's going to be a tough sell for this thing, even running Android, for it to be the primary phone that people use. So, so now you're in kind of like this third or fourth device no man's land um, where, you know, perhaps, again, some subset of mobile professionals will appreciate it. Uh, but, um, but, uh, you know, they're, I don't think they're going to be able to compete with the say camera capabilities of the latest iPhone or, or latest galaxy. And they're not trying to do that. One of the things Microsoft said in defending why they went to multiple screens as opposed to a folding screen, we could probably talk a bit more about the trade-offs was cost. You know, this is a relatively affordable, mature technology. And they said they want this thing to be kind of a mainstream option, not this, um, you know, kind of experimental, forward-looking, uh, you know, market-seeding product like the Galaxy Fold. Well, and I so. think that it, it, you know, you bring up a lot of interesting points, Ross. I think first and foremost, bringing Android into this Microsoft environment and this Microsoft, what is essentially a Microsoft product is uh, it's clear if you can't beat them, join them. Right. And, and so it's really interesting yeah. to see how these companies are coming together as some of these areas start to mature. It doesn't make sense to create these partnerships maybe early on because you want to have a much stronger influence on what the category becomes, but it's clear that right. it, at this point, it is very hard for Microsoft to get into the, the mobile phone space. They've tried it a number of different ways, including even buying Nokia. Obviously, that didn't work. And so now they partner with uh, a business that is dedicated to this space and going to continue to build it out. And so they can they can write off of that. And, and they really, they're doing the same thing with Cortana and their voice agent as they're starting to redirect that to be more focused on the Microsoft Windows environment and the Office environment. And they'll probably use Google Assist or, or Alexa or, or whomever makes sense on, on the device that is in question to look at more general nature searches. And so you're, you're seeing these interesting partnerships start to form. I, I think to your point too, you're also seeing the struggle of, we don't want to call this a phone because we don't want to compete against other phones, but it kind of looks like a phone. And the video we showed actually has somebody making a, it's, a call. Yeah, it's not a phone, but it makes and receives phone right. calls. 
<laughs> and you saw this time and again, I think, with all of these. I mean, to your point, the conversation we had at the beginning is what is the role of a laptop? I think that's why you see so many companies trying to say this is a entirely new category because they don't want to compete against everybody who's already there, but yet they don't have all of the new use case scenarios well-defined for a, a new product. So at least early on, this looks a lot like a phone minus some of the camera features that we have become so accustomed to having in a phone. And, you know, that's some of what you give up when you go to a, a dual screen model is you give up some of the, the real estate for where these phones might have existed. But we think it's going to create new use case scenarios. And so we're going to bring it to market and trying to give developers a year to get on board to develop things that are uniquely dual screened. I think that's that will become the, the make or break for uh, for Microsoft in this space is can they come out with use case scenarios that make a lot of sense? Already we saw some use case scenarios where you might be able to have your inbox on one screen and you have, you know, you're right. reading the emails on the other screen or you've got the view of your Excel spreadsheet on one side and you're zooming into one of the cells or a series of cells on the others. And so the, the idea of like mobile-centric computing, things that we have t typically not wanted to do in a mobile environment, uh, starting to make sense in a dual screen could be really interesting. Things like Microsoft Excel is, to me, a, still a very painful experience on a mobile phone, uh, whereas on a dual screen laptop setup or, or desktop setup, it really works quite well. There are some really interesting trade-offs. So the nice thing about a dual screen is that it creates kind of these natural areas for different parts of the interface to go to, but they're not necessarily optimal areas. So in the example of email, if you, let's say, have a folding screen phone, or even on a single screen device, and a folding screen generally is a single screen, if you just want like your subject headings in a relatively small column and you want to devote, uh, let's say, three quarters of the screen to your um, to your messages, you know, to actually reading the message, you can do that. Uh, the default on a device like the Duo is you say, I want to make it two screens. You know, I want this app to cover two screens. Well, now one whole screen is going to be your message list and the other is going to be the context of the um of the uh of, of the message um so it may not be optimal you know in terms of how you would like to see those ratios but i think what you give up in screen op optimal screen usage you gain a little bit in convenience right because now i don't have to tweak you know oh here's exactly where i want this divider bar to be the interface kind of takes care of it for me. Um, and that was uh, certainly in play on the Neo as well. And by the way, this uh, uses an Intel architecture. Uh, Intel has been doing a fair amount of work on dual screen devices for, for some time. Uh, and uh, uh, the, the way that they've kind of uh, set it up is like, you know, the screens basically provide way places to to put things uh, conveniently. So, Sean, you mentioned this kind of enhanced touch bar thing. All that really is is an area of the second screen that shows up when you put the keyboard, the physical keyboard, on top of it. 
So again, another lesson from Surface that wasn't necessarily present in this courier video from years ago, people like physical touch screens. Uh, this one is charged on the back of the device. It's a Bluetooth device, kind of interesting. And then when you put it on the glass in order to type, uh, it, um, it, it uses the rest, whatever is left, the one third of that screen, uh, second screen, to put up like emoji or controls for the app or, um, or, uh, or, or you could even use it as a touchpad, which I think is probably one of the smarter uh, ideas that they've done with it. So uh, it is, it, 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 and, uh, I, I commented uh, during the presentation, you know, there's one place where, one demonstration where they show someone watching a Netflix video and then they think to themselves, hey, there are some notes I probably want to take on this Netflix video. Let me move it to this little screen and then, you know, open up Word or something. And, and Microsoft is probably the only company I can think of that would come up with the idea of, hey, I really need to be more productive while I'm watching yeah. this Netflix video. So it's uh, uh, very, uh, very Microsoft. Um, but, uh, you know, I, I think some of it is... Uh, so some of the decisions they made were kind of by design. Um, and I think some of the things like this enhanced touch bar thing are kind of more a result of consequence. Okay. So, you know, now we have this keyboard and the screen and the sizes don't exactly match up. What can we do? You know, uh, and I think Apple uh, has struggled a little bit to make the case for the touch bar. Uh, and uh, I think it's going to be a little bit challenging for Microsoft to make the case for, you know, what do people do with this extra screen real estate? Well, so. and I think that's going to be a big focus for for both of these devices, the Duo and the, the Neo, but also more broadly for a, a world wherein we're rethinking about how we dedicate the the screen to different activities. And so figuring out how to to predict how to optimize the screens for different activities, I think will become a core aspect of how we start to develop apps and, and other applications for, the, uh, for these environments. And whether that's using machine learning and, and other artificial intelligence mm -hmm. techniques remains to be seen. But I think th that will become a big push over the next 36 months is how do we optimize screens for different activities based upon the situation that they're they're put in. So you give this example of and joke about this example of minimizing Netflix so that you can you know take notes or do things like that. But when I'm on flights, that's how I see a lot of consumption on these type of devices, something smaller than a, a laptop, where they're consuming Netflix, but then they're also working and, and maybe this allows them to do both, especially as we get to Gen Z, which loves to do simultaneous media consumption. Maybe maybe right, that's the right. perfect device for them. And then the last thought I had on this really, at least for now, was uh, just kind of looking at the competitive dynamics of, of this thing. Uh, why is Google into this? You know, maybe on one hand, they're just like, okay, another OEM, we don't care. You know, uh, sure, maybe Microsoft will push Word and Office heavily on this thing, but, you know, people will still be able to access Google Docs and, you know, our suite of services and YouTube and, and all that stuff. So maybe on one hand, they don't care. On, on the other hand, it's a very interesting kind of Mexican standoff uh, among 
Google, Microsoft, Google slash Microsoft in this incident, uh, uh, Samsung and Apple, right? So uh, even though Microsoft is partnering with Samsung and doing a lot with Samsung on, on the Galaxy Note, uh, you know, Google still wants to have a check against them in, in the professional market where Samsung is probably the go-to Android device. So, so this helps them provide a little bit of that. And then there's the idea of the enemy of my enemy is my friend. So, you know, they're, they're both, they're all trying to work together to serve as a check against the iPhone. Um, so uh, certainly, you know, much longer conversation that could be had there around the competitive dynamics. But, but I think, you know, this, this, falls into that uh, and um, says a lot about how these companies uh, perceive Well, and the question becomes, for example, what's going to become the the default search on a device like this? Is it Bing? Mm. Is it Google? And it works when you see, as I noted, Microsoft starting to reposition Cortana. Then that opens them up to having a different digital assistant. In this case, presumably Google Assistant will be running on Android having it on the device and it's not competing directly, but it's offering a differentiated service. And I think there's lots of interesting questions that start to emerge. And there's lots of things that inhibit these type of partnerships. Uh, One of the approaches I feel like Microsoft is taking now is that they no longer feel like they have to entirely own an environment to be successful in that environment. And I think that's going to open up a lot of opportunities for them. I also think that they see this as a a new category, that they really feel like they're breaking new ground here. The use case scenarios haven't been defined. And so they want to be early, bringing in partners like like Google makes sense here and leveraging all of the capabilities that Android has. Android is being optimized for things, for use on, on foldable phones and other things. So take advantage of those built-in, that built-in momentum might help them carve out an important and worthwhile niche in this space. Well, that's probably a great place to stop. Thanks for joining another episode of Techspansive. Don't forget to check the website for show notes and tune in next week for another episode. Again, I'm Sean Dubrovac from Avrio Institute. You can find me on Twitter at Sean Dubrovac. And you can find me on Twitter at Ross Rubin.